This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Wednesday, January 31st, 2024. On today's episode of the show, we are going to be gathering around the virtual water cooler and talking about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I am an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor BJ Colangelo. Hi, hi, hi. BJ, it's been a long time since we've done a straight up water cooler episode, so I'm excited to dive into this with you. What have you been doing recently? Alrighty, so I am slowly but surely doing t-shirt surgery on all of my graphic tees, and I own a lot of them. I feel like I have entire drawers dedicated to just like Super Yaki and Pentagram Peter Pan and all of those like pop culture movie sort of, you know, merch companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm getting to this point where I'm realizing that I probably shouldn't own as many graphic tees as I do, but rather than just donate all of them or just stop wearing them because of some, you know, perceived, you know, adulthood appearance that I should be maintaining or whatever, um, I've been cutting them up into different pieces. Um, Some of them are getting turned into halter tops. Some of them are getting turned into tank tops. Some of them are getting turned into like off the shoulder tops. I'm just finding new ways to style all of them and it very much feels like I have been transported back to my live journal days when I was an active participant in this group that was called t-shirt surgery which is how (laughs) I learned how to do all of this stuff (laughs) um so that's what I'm doing um so I hopefully by the end of this will not really have any graphic tees that are just plain t-shirts with like a print on them 
That's really cool. I just got rid of a bunch of old clothes. Like I went through my entire closet. I was just like sick of looking at shirts that were like 15 years old <laughs> that were sitting in my closet. And I got rid of a lot of those um, sort of graphic tees, like the super yakky type of stuff that just like didn't fit anymore. But now I'm regretting doing that and thinking that maybe I should have like tried to, I don't know, cut them up and like turn them into patches or something or make like some sort of hideous um voltron <laughs> shirt where like all of the the centers of each you know like the actual images from each shirt are somehow like sewn together to form one mega shirt or something i don't know <laughs> um but yeah, that would uh, yeah. Be awesome <laughs> but yeah it's a cool approach i i uh i certainly um have never done that myself but that sounds like a really <laughs> man going back to the live journal days that's that's a while ago bj <laughs> i know uh i like to pretend that i'm not nearly as old as i am but i was very active on live journal which means i'm a thousand years old <laughs> well that actually is a pretty decent transition into um the what we've been reading segment because i read a book called tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow which uh is kind of about video games and like the early days of video games have you ever read this book do you know anything about i've not this but this sounds fascinating yeah this came out uh, in 2022 and it was on like a bunch of best you know, book of the year type of lists. And it's about two kids who meet each other in unexpected circumstances and they bond over their love of video games. And then they reunite years later as college students and decide to make a video game of their own. And if you, like me, are part of the generation who sort of grew up playing Oregon Trail and games like that on PCs and school classrooms, which is why the, the live journal thing, uh, you know, th there's that connection there. Um, th there's probably a lot that you'll be able to recognize and kind of pick up on in terms of the references to games that are made throughout this book. But I don't necessarily think you have to be a gamer or anything to really get something out of this. There's like a will they won't they aspect to the two lead characters that that really um, uh, drives most of the story. And it's more about that and kind of like creativity and honesty and trust and kind of these bigger uh, ideas than like Hey, remember this game or that game? You know, it's, it's not really like that. Um, mm -hmm. It's not. It's not like Ready Player One. I guess that is the best, <laughs> best way I can it's say. Not just member berries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I did find myself getting frustrated by some of the decisions that a few of the characters were making, but um, honestly, I feel like that happens a lot in modern fiction. Like, there's just something about the way that modern I'm, I'm, you know, I realize I'm doing like a gigantic blanket statement here, but it just, it feels like modern writers um, have their characters do like make terrible decisions and be awful people. And it's like kind of tough to read that sometimes when you're just like your entire situation would be easily solved if you just weren't such an asshole or if you just would do this one simple thing that the characters like refuse to do. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's just like a problem I have with like a lot of modern, uh, like contemporary fiction or whatever. But uh, anyway, I, I found like there's also some really powerful stuff in here too. So I think I was ultimately a little mixed on the book, but I would say give it a shot if anything that I've said sounds interesting. Um I also had a chance to read The Wager, which is a book that Jacob has recommended on this podcast before. Have you read this one, BJ? Do you know anything about I've this? I've not. Okay. So David Gran is the author behind this, and he wrote uh, The Lost City of Z, and he wrote Killers of the Flower Moon. And uh, The Wager is his most recent book. It came out in April of last year, and it's about a mutiny that happens after a British ship wrecks in it's like 1741, I think is the year. And it's a survival story and, and a horror story, really. And like, if you've ever seen a pirate movie or like a swashbuckling adventure movie and kind of bought into the romanticized nature of that kind of lifestyle, 
I would say that reading this book will make you so glad that you've never actually boarded a ship during that period because it sounds absolutely hellish. <laughs> like the, the, the you know, David Grant is like famous for his research and, you know, like the rest of his books, this one is full of rich and vivid and vibrant details. And it just, you can tell he did, again, a ridiculous amount of research to sort of patch all these stories together and bring this tale to life. And yeah, the the picture that he paints of what life was like on a boat back then um, is just like kind of nightmare material for me anyway. So uh, yeah, I found this to be incredibly entertaining. I'm very curious to see if Martin Scorsese does actually decide to adapt this into a movie. Um, there was talk that maybe he and DiCaprio would reteam for this. I think since then, he uh, Scorsese has announced that he's going to be working on like a Jesus movie of some kind. So mm-hmm. very curious to see what, what that ends up being as well. But um, yeah, the wager is just like, there's a lot of like terrible weather and um, really like horrific stuff that happens to this crew as they get shipwrecked. And it just seems uh, very, very difficult to capture in either TV or film. So I'm, I wonder uh, if anybody, let alone Scorsese is going to be able to ever, you know, bring that kind of story to a screen of some kind. So we'll see, but uh, the wager of the book is, is very much worth reading. um, Especially if you're into uh, yeah, any, any sort of like pirate stories or anything like that, buccaneers and swashbuckling of any kind. So uh, check it out. What have you been uh, reading recently? Anything? Alrighty. So yeah, I'm reading the Nimonographic novel. I know I spoke on the show about getting to see the Nimona film in the theaters and how wonderful it was. I wrote about that for Slash Film as well. But at that screening, um, Andy Stevenson, who wrote the graphic novel, talked a bit about the original source material and how upon rereading it and upon, you know, watching the movie, he realized, oh, this entire book is just like me screaming for help and understanding what my, you know, my gender is because uh, Annie Stevenson has since transitioned since writing Nimona. And mm. so I was like, you know what, now that I have this additional knowledge and I know where this author, you know, is going to end up, I want to reread it and see if I can find, you know, those little breadcrumbs left behind it's not breadcrumbs it's a feast like it is so on front street uh that you know this author is having some gender issues and going through it um (laughs) in in how it is presented through Nimona's shape-shifting how Nimona feels about the world um really really fascinating and I also enjoyed revisiting it now that I've seen the movie because I think sometimes once you see a movie that has you know been adapted from a book the movie tends to become the dominant narrative in our minds. Like this is how we remember things. It's the same way, you know, where people talk about like things that happened on the Titanic and most of the things that they're parroting are things from James Cameron's movie and mm-hmm. not actual history. So I wanted to reread the book to see, you know, how how I feel about both of them. And I think they're both, you know, really wonderful pieces of art. Um, but I had forgotten how much more intense and how much bigger the emotions in the graphic novel are. And I'm very glad that both of them exist because I think the graphic novel is a little bit more mature than what the Netflix movie ultimately ended up being. So I think it's great because now we can have younger audiences watch the movie really fall in love with it um and then when they get a little bit more mature and can handle a little bit more nuance of you know some pretty tough issues then they can go back to the graphic novel so this is now a uh like a series that can grow with the people watching it 
Yeah, that's cool. That's a, a cool trajectory. I didn't realize that the graphic novel was like more um, mature, as you said. So uh, I haven't yeah. read it yet, but um, I love the movie. So I'll have to check this out, too. Before we get into what we've been watching, let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Okay, what have you been watching recently, BJ? All right, so the first thing that I watched is actually a documentary from 2016 called Bad Kids. Have you seen this? I have not. Okay, so Bad Kids is about what is a continuation high school in the Mojave Desert. And for those that don't know, continuation high schools, um, you might have heard them as like, oh, that's the school where the bad kids go. Um, A lot of times it's kids that have been bounced around between private, public, and charter schools, they tend to have like behavioral issues or a lot of truancy problems. A lot of times these are kids that are coming from, you know, rough homes with not a lot of support system and continuation high schools are kind of their last chance at getting a high school diploma uh, before it ends up being like you're taking night classes for GEDs. Um, These schools have a completely different structure. Um, It is very much like independent. Um, You kind of, you determine when you're going to graduate. Uh, If you want to really buckle down and get everything done in, you know, a semester and a half and leave, that's your prerogative. If you want to stay there for five years, that's your prerogative. Um, But it is a school specifically to meet the needs of a lot of kids that we would typically describe as like those who fell through the cracks. Um, It is fascinating and heartbreaking. It reminds me a lot of the schools that I taught in. Um, so I got a little emotional. Um, but it was, it was really wonderful. Like it's a really wonderful watch because, you know, people are really judgmental towards teenagers and I feel like continuation schools are going to become a lot bigger, um, in the coming years as we are seeing so many teachers struggle with, the post-quarantine era of pandemic kids, uh, a lot of them are struggling with emotional regulation. There's a lot more behavioral issues. Um, if you spend any time on TikTok and end up even in like, even in spitting distance of teacher talk, you have probably heard like, oh my God, the kids today, the kids today. Well, they need help. And so schools like continuation schools, um, I think this model we're going to start seeing um a lot more of in mm. you know general education populace. So it was really interesting to watch this, you know, pre a pandemic world and see how this different approach is really successful for the kids who need it. Yeah, I wonder if they would consider doing like a follow-up documentary in that post-pandemic kind of um scenario that we all find ourselves in now because it sounds like things probably have changed so dramatically from 2016 when this first came out. Yeah, I I really hope that they do. I know that the people who made the movie and the school, uh, it's called the Black Rock School. Um, if they 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 still actively work with organizations throughout the country to like help kids, you know, outside of just like their you know immediate geographical location. So I'm very curious if they would ever do a revisit. I 
think they should. Um, yeah. I think it'd be beneficial. Um, and also because I want to know what happened to these kids. I want to know if they're okay. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever see the, um, I, I want to call it, I want to say it's called the Seven Up series. Is that right? Does that sound familiar to you? It's, um, I don't think uh, so. I want to say it was Michael Apted was the director. Uh, and he's directed like, I think he directed the James Bond movie. He directed one of the Chronicles of Narnia movies. Um, but he, I think, famously directed this uh, series of documentaries called, I'm pretty sure it's called the Seven Up series, where every seven years he would check in with the same group of people. And they, he made so many um, installments in this series that you could watch these people, you know, almost like boyhood, like the Richard Linklater movie Boyhood. You can check back in with these people every seven years and see the developments that they've had in their lives and the um, the marks that they've hit and the threshold they've crossed and like the, you know, marriages that have fallen apart and like lives that have, you know, come and gone and, and relationships that have happened and all this stuff. It's super fascinating because it's obviously like all real. So um, anyway, yeah, I would recommend checking that out if you're yeah, like in the mood for like a, yeah, like a humanist kind of project to dig into. But um, where did you watch uh, Bad Kids, BJ? So people might be able to track this down. Bad Kids is currently available on streaming on a lot of the free places. So Tubi, Peacock, uh, Amazon Prime, Freebie, Free V, that's what they call it. Um, so it's available in a lot of places for free. Cool. What else have you been watching recently? All right. So I am currently on an adventure to introduce a friend of mine to the entire uh, filmography of my favorite director, Mr. John Waters. And if anyone knows anything about John Waters, um, he can be an acquired taste if you are somebody with a little bit more of a normie palette. I don't say that with, you know, disdain, just calling it what it is. And there are a lot of debates on how you start John Waters. Like, how do you introduce somebody to John Waters? Um, a lot of people are like, rip the bandaid off, start with pink flamingos and, you know, have divine eating dog poop and, you know, singing prolapsed buttholes but i think that that's a, a good way to scare people out of john waters so i think the perfect movie to start with is serial mom and i own this on blu-ray so we watched it at my house made like a whole movie night out of it and i once again was proven correct that john, that serial mom is the best way to introduce somebody into the world of john waters because it's culty enough that if you didn't watch the Ricky Lake show, you might not recognize that Ricky Lake is there, but you have Kathleen Turner, you have Matthew Lillard, um, you have these recognizable faces. It's following kind of this fun true crime thing um, and, you know, making a, a parody of our obsession with true crime like decades before the true crime podcasting boom. So again, John Waters is always ahead of the time. Mm -hmm. um, she had never seen any of it and she was like this is hilarious and this is so wild and was just so shocked at the language of you know the obscene phone calls and everything going on and i was like yeah nope this is this is how you start perfect <laughs> well i'm glad that you told me this because uh john waters is a gigantic um blind spot for me as a, a watcher i don't i'm looking at his filmography right now i don't think i've seen anything that he's directed which oh is, my god i know i know uh, i feel terrible um especially talking <laughs> considering he's your favorite director i feel like uh yeah i'm i'm like yeah i should be standing in a corner or something but uh i'm glad that you said that because now i, I will start with serial mom instead of diving straight into pink flamingos which is the more famous movie so uh, definitely cool. i think pink flamingos and female trouble a lot of his early work it's famous because it's also notorious i love all of it like i straight up own shoes that have odorama print on them so like I'm I'm very much a diehard, but I also recognize that you gotta ease people into 
you know, the everybody's on drugs and we have no money era of John Waters yeah. filmography. <laughs> and some people like to say start with Crybaby or start or start with Hairspray. And while I also think that those are fair, um, those are also, you know, period pieces. And I, I think you, I think Serial Mom is the ticket. That's the start. Okay, excellent. Uh, so you've got one more thing that you wanted to talk about here. What what else have you been watching? Yeah, and so the last thing that I did was a, a rewatch of a film that I haven't watched since college, but um, I think as most people know who listen, I also co-host the podcast This Ends at Prom, where we talk about teen girl movies. And given the state of the world right now, we really wanted to talk about a movie that is uh, – you know, about a very unconventional coming of age experience, one that happens during a difficult uh, time period. So we rewatched uh, Persepolis, uh, Marjane Satrapi's Persepolis, also based on a graphic novel, um, but it is, you know, semi-autobiographical and it's about her growing up during the Iranian revolution and the Iranian Iraq war and what it was like to live in Iran and then suddenly everything changed because of the political regime and people close to her were, you know, dying and Mm -hmm. how that is, you know, uh, that is some people's coming of age experience. Some of us, our biggest issue is whether or not our crush is going to ask us to prom. Uh, Some of us is, am I going to be thrown in jail because I'm listening to a bootleg Michael Jackson cassette tape. Mm -hmm. Um, And so rewatching Persepolis, uh, that movie is still, perfect like it is perfection i still cannot believe that it did not win the academy award no shade ratatouille you are wonderful but persepolis should have beaten you um because it's it's remarkable like it is a remarkable film and the animation is so simple and yet so powerful and it's very uh it's a very tough watch even still today even knowing you know how things end up for this person and you know marjan has gone on to direct other movies she directed that movie the voices with ryan reynolds where his pets tell him to kill people oh yeah Um, like people forget that that's the same director um (laughs) but yeah persepolis is it's so good like it is one of the best adult animated uh films for a reason and it yeah it still hits just as hard as it did in you know what is that 2008 (laughs) but yeah Yeah. great did we talk about Flea, the 2021 movie, the animated movie? Uh, have we talked I about think, that? I think we did like around that time period. <laughs> yeah, it's been so long and so many things have come out since then that, that I forgot. But I, I kind of I kind of view Flea as like a, um, I don't know, like a spiritual successor or something to Persepolis. It's, it's kind of like some of the same uh, experiences depicted in animation that's very much you know very much aimed at adults and and yeah dealing with like um serious subject matter and stuff like that so yeah do do like a one-two punch with those movies um if you're looking to uh sort of expand expand your animation horizons a little bit i would say definitely uh okay so i had a chance to watch ken russell's the devils for the first time yes this, i was gonna say this seems like a a bj core movie if i've ever seen <laughs> oh one. one of the t-shirts that i've been doing surgery on is my ken russell's the devil shirt <laughs> <laughs> okay so i knew that you're the right person to talk to about this uh i have to say bj, BJ that like I was led to believe from the way that people have been talking about this movie for my whole life. Like, first of all, this has been on my list of things to watch for 20 years or something. Like as long as I've kind of been keeping like a running list in the back of my mind for like, oh, I got to watch this and and check this out because 
people say it's nuts or whatever. And to uh, be Ken fair Russell's, to you, it's not been easy to find for a long period of time. Yes. And and thankfully, uh, it is streaming right now on the Criterion uh, channel, which, um, yeah, was is like a huge deal for accessibility for this movie. Because, yeah, as, as you mentioned, I don't think it was like, uh, it certainly was not streaming anywhere in, in like a legal format or anything. And then I don't know if there have been like widely um, viewable physical releases for this either. Yeah, for, so Shutter for a long had time. it for a, like a small window a couple years ago, okay. and that was a big deal. Um, but yeah, now that it's on Criterion, because uh, well, a lot of people don't have Shutter, so yeah. it's been a bigger deal. Yeah, so I, I was, I don't know, I, I kind of thought this movie was going to be way more transgressive than it was just from like the hushed tones with which people spoke about it. And I kind of think that Benedetta, which is another movie that is set in a similar milieu, if you will, was more um, kind of like extreme and boundary pushing. But I I, I guess like for the time, uh, The Devils came out in what, 74, in the mid 70s, I think. Um, you know, obviously like, it's not a one-to-one comparison with Benedetta, which just came out a couple years ago. Uh, but yeah, it just wasn't quite as like, oh my God, this is so shocking kind of thing. Like I feel like Benedetta, some of the stuff that happens in Benedetta is actually more, um, I don't know, blasphemous if you want to call it that, or like shocking with a capital S than anything that happens in uh, The Devils. But um, but I, I still enjoyed the movie. I thought it was much more to me, it was not as much about like, um, shocking the audience to its core, but it's, it actually was like a, um, I don't know, it, it felt like more of a real movie to me, if that makes sense, than just like a a shock thing. Um, mm-hmm. And it was kind of about power and control and like using the sheen of institutions to manipulate and deceive people and how kind of how blindly giving in to spectacle can maybe bring about the downfall of society as a whole, you know? So like there's, there's a lot going on here and a lot to chew on. And it's much more than just like, well, look at this crazy stuff that happens on screen. So I was kind of like uh, surprised in a, a multitude of ways watching the devils. But uh, why do you like this movie so much? So I feel about the devil similarly to the way that I feel about possession, which is that a lot of people do talk about it like, this is the most extreme thing you've ever seen. And it's like, well, one, that's relative. And two, don't put that on a movie because if you haven't seen it, your imagination is going to think of way worse things than what the movie is actually going to show you. Mm -hmm. Um, But my love of this is one, I have an affinity for any film that scares, you know, the general public during the time of its release. Um, And I especially love it. Like you said, like when you compare it to something like Benedetta, where it's like, you know, the devil's walked. So Benedetta could, you know, sprint like that's sort of the way that I have to look at it. But uh, the reason that I love this movie is close to why you like this movie. I love the idea of like, let's look at this religious institution and show on its face, like how manipulative it is, how people straight up lie for their own gain. And because they have this allure of, oh, they're a man of God or, oh, they're a woman of God, that we are supposed to just take what they say and accept it because uh, a lot of like blind devotion has been responsible for much of the horrible things that have happened in all societies across the entire world for (laughs) the the entire annals of history. Um, So I love that this movie is like, no, these people suck, which I love. And also just, you know, Vanessa Redgrave is incredible and I will watch her do anything ever. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So I would recommend checking that out. Um, it's on uh, on the Criterion channel right now. But like, yeah, maybe steal yourself if you've never seen 
um, I don't know, capital P provocative movies before. Cause it is like, it, it does go to, to places. It, it does have like shocking imagery in it, but it's not, um, I don't know. It, I think it was just a case of like, maybe it was built up a little bit too much with the conversation around it. Or I, I allowed it to be built up by listening too much to that conversation instead of just like engaging with the movie on its own. But I finally did have a chance to watch it and I'm, I'm happy that I did. So um, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, PJ, I rewatched The Princess Diaries for the first time in a yes. long, long time. Uh, this movie came out in 2001. It was like the the big sort of a starring role for Anne Hathaway. Uh, and um, was it Gary Marshall that directed this? Yeah, I think yes. it was. Yeah. Uh, just a really, really well done, um, you know, coming of age story that I feel like, I don't know, you are much more tapped into um this uh corner of cinema than i am given the um subject matter of your podcast but it, it kind of feels like they don't really make movies like this anymore am i wrong am i just romanticizing this period or do they not actually make as many movies like this anymore oh no they straight up don't make them like this anymore um because the princess diaries is such a sincere movie um and if you're going to make a movie like this then it ends up being something like a princess switch movie with uh, vanessa hudgens where it ends up being you know, almost a wink at the camera. We know how goofy this is. Don't take it seriously. Let's have campy fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not very off, or it's like melodramatic teen drama. Um, but a movie like The Princess Diaries, which is just like fun and very light, and the stakes are not super high, and there's a lot of these like really wonderful character moments, those don't really exist in the teen space um, anymore. Um, there are, you know, a couple exceptions but not really and the princess diaries oh it's just such a warm blanket i love this movie so much i do not love the sequel but that's an entirely different discussion oh yeah i never saw the sequel i just know that chris pine was in it and that was like one of the early chris pine roles Mm -hmm. and he uh, is real hunky and sweet in it i just hate that movie (laughs) oh bummer uh but this one is is delightful um and hathaway is is really great and you can see why i mean she immediately has that sort of uh superstar potential um and you know just watching her in something like eileen and then going back to the beginning i don't know if this was actually her first movie but certainly like her first big starring opportunity um there's just it's such a pleasure to see somebody develop such a fascinating career and like you know go on to do all these big things coming from you know the the kind of disney school like it happens uh sometimes but like I would say just as often people, you know, have that kind of, they get locked into that Disney channel style of acting and they just like can't uh, transition into, you know, a different type of modality of storytelling yeah. or whatever, or a performance or something. Right. So like, I was just happy to see that Anne Hathaway was able to make that transition. And she didn't also, it's not like this movie is like her playing to the back row. Like, like so many of those Disney channel performers, she actually has like a little bit of naturalism here and like feels like a real person. So it was just very nice to see. And Julie Andrews and Hector Elizondo are like fantastic to watch. And it's just, yeah, just a really, really good, like warm blanket of a movie. So if you're looking for, it's so wonderful. And you, you were right. This is her featured feature film debut. Um, She had been on a TV show called get real that no one has seen. So no one remembers that it even exists uh, <laughs> but she was on that for I think like a season and then she got the Princess Diaries and what's also fascinating is that she was supposed to be Christine Daae in the Phantom of the Opera movie but couldn't because she had to do the Princess Diaries too because she was contractually obligated oh um, wow which I, I didn't think know that that's one of my like Roman empires of like 
what would that movie have been like? What would her career have been like if like that was a movie that she had done? Um, but yeah, but no, I, I really like Emmy Rossum in the. In I the, do too. Um, yeah, that the version of that movie that I think was Joel Schumacher that directed that, right? The, yes. Yeah, and like I, that was the project that introduced me to Emmy Rossum, and I had like a big Emmy Rossum phase for like many years, and so. In that what if scenario, I wonder if Emmy Rossum would have found something else that kind of put her on the map in that same way. Yeah, it's fascinating to see like how these, you know, little decisions, you know, change everything. But yeah, Princess Diaries is so good. And also people who might not know this, uh, the Baroness in the Princess Diaries, that is Bonnie Aaron. That is the nun in high glam, which is why it, it makes me so angry whenever people are like, oh, the nun is ugly. I'm like, I'm sorry. Have you seen the Princess Diaries? Bonnie Aarons can get it. She is mean and scary and hot. And I love her. Amazing. Okay. Well, Princess Diaries is streaming on Disney Plus. If you're, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like a perfect, like, I'm sick. I don't really feel well. I just kind of want to lay on the couch and not really think about anything type of movie where it just like leaves a smile on your face. And Robert Schwartzman is in it. He, he plays the uh, the sort of male lead kind of like mm-hmm. quasi romantic interest. And yeah, and he does this insane thing where he plays the keyboard with M&Ms on it, which is just like makes absolutely no sense, but it's like a, a, a memorable visual. Like I, I saw this movie in theaters and haven't really I don't think I've seen it since. But I remembered that moment just because it's so distinctive. And like, and you have the sorry pizza with M&M's saying sorry on the pizza. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and Heather um, Matarazzo just being perfect in this movie. This movie's perfect. I have no yeah. complaints. It's and and Robert Schwartzman was, uh, first of all, he's he's one of the uh, Coppola. He's a Schwartzman. <laughs> fa- family, you know, one of the, the members of the, the Coppola umbrella, basically, uh, related to Jason Schwartzman, Nicolas Cage, Sofia Coppola, all these people. And um, he was the lead singer of Rooney. I don't know if you're yes, familiar with the band Rooney. I love but, Rooney. <laughs> yeah. I was a big Rooney fan for a long time too. So it kind of like blew my mind to find out because uh, I, I think I came to Rooney in like 2004 or three or something like that. And then to retroactively realize that like the lead singer played the male love interest in the princess diaries was kind of a crazy thing. So uh, anyway, that's my, that was my experience with the princess diaries. Rewatching that very enjoyable. Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention real quick is I watched the final season of Hilda. Have you caught up with this yet? BJ? I love Hilda. Um, Hilda is definitely, uh, I'm about to go to sleep. I would like some comfort before I, so I can just wash away the horrors of the world. This is yeah, I know you and I have talked about the show um, in, in the past and it's, yeah, like one of the best sort of kids shows or like, I don't even have kids, but I watch it. It's, it works just as well for me. Um, and the final season of the show came out, I think at the very end of December or maybe the early January or something. And uh, I, my wife and I caught up with it and, I would say that like the first half was a little shaky. Like it introduces a character that you've, I'm trying to be vague here. Uh, It introduces a character who's never been a part of the series before and asks you to invest in relationships that we've never actually seen depicted yet. And I kind of thought that was like a, a bold strategy for the final season of a show. But by the time it all wraps up at the end, I thought it was like very effective and and everything kind of like came and and fell into place. So uh, very happy with how this show and its entire journey uh, went along. I would say like overall, I think the first two seasons are like a little bit more consistently great all the way through, but like overall the, the show is, is capital G great. So, uh, it's called Hilda it's streaming on Netflix, just really wonderful stuff. So, um, did you see the, the final season? Did you have any thoughts on that yet? I am a couple episodes short. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll be curious to see what you think about like the, the actual, uh, final episode in particular. So, uh, okay. What have you been eating recently, PJ? All right. So I think I've talked about this on a water cool episode before, but I am a person who ends up 
in like safe food modes. This is like if it's a very neurodivergent thing where suddenly you just get it in your head of like the only thing I want to eat is macaroni and cheese, and then like that's all you eat for a month. Um, I'm having that right now with pineapple fried rice. Um, there are a lot of Thai food places in my neighborhood, and because I'm so severely immunocompromised, I do a lot of door dashing. Don't worry, I tip very well because thank you all for allowing me to eat more than just like spaghettios out of a can um (laughs) so i have been on a quest to try to see who has the best pineapple fried rice in my neighborhood um i've had like eight different thai places over the last like three weeks (laughs) um because i like i love thai food but i'm also allergic to fish um and a lot of things use fish sauce or have shrimp in them and uh, pineapple fried rice is one of the few uh things that i could very easily just be like no shrimp and then i'm fine i don't have to worry about like changing everything and and how they make it Mm -hmm. um so that's my journey right now right now there's this place called like angel thai that is like killing it for me i think it's in burbank if i'm wrong i'm sorry but uh that's been the one that i've been like yeah this is it but i also have thai food places in the area that are have like fun names like tie me up uh also pretty good (laughs) (laughs) have you ever had pineapple fried rice that's served to you in like half of a full pineapple yes i had that one time at this like you know bougie place in you know like downtown la somewhere um and i was shocked and it was very cool and i was a big fan (laughs) yeah i love it the novelty is fantastic uh great stuff yeah pineapple fried rice like one of my favorite um I don't know what you would call it, Asian foods, I guess, so, because I feel like there's more than just Thai food. Like you can have pineapple fried rice in in a bunch of different sort of, um, I don't know, Asian variations of food, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, man, just a, a classic banger of a meal right there. <laughs> um, okay. The final category is what we've been playing. What have you been playing recently, BJ? All right. So I have to preface this by saying by playing, um, I've just been, you know, being the little brother in my own marriage and just watching my wife play um, because she plays when I'm working so I'm usually just like sitting doing you know my my daily work at slash film and just like peeking over my laptop and watching her play Super Mario Wonder um this is the cutest game I've ever seen in my life in the I don't know Mario anything world. about this what what is this game oh my god okay so Super Mario Wonder it's like their new uh, like it's their new Mario game. It's their new big release. And there's all these different worlds and you can play as like all the different characters as usual, but they've incorporated so many different elements. Like there are levels that are like musical where like the piranha plants are singing and you like bop them and it changes either the notes they're making or how many of them are singing. Um, it is so ungodly cute (laughs) like i can't even process (laughs) it um they you know mario also can be an elephant and like stomp around like you know when he puts on like the cap and changes animal forms he has an elephant form and he can stomp around and like break things um (laughs) it's just it's so joyful like it's so it has all of you know the traditional staples of a mario game but has incorporated all of these you know new elements that make it feel fresh but it is so cute it is like a like the similar side scroller um so it's not as open world as some of the other like recent mario games but oh my god i loved it it's so cute and now that she's beaten the game um i can try and take way more time to beat it because i'm terrible at video games (laughs) well that sounds delightful uh is this for nintendo switch yeah it's on the switch but i i think it's on other platforms maybe not i feel like it should be exclusive to the switch i don't know how video games work i'm really bad at this (laughs) yeah i think i think mostly nintendo stuff is exclusive to the switch right now but um but yeah, just checking. So uh, Super Mario Wonder. Okay, I'm going to add this to my 
list. I might have to yeah, at least watch, watch the trailer videos. Yeah, watch the trailer, and you're going to be like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, okay, well, I think that's going to do it for today's episode of the show. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter. There's a link for that in the show notes as well. Send your feedback, uh, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That really does help us out a ton. Tell your friends about the show any way you can. I would really appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.